Greetings. Welcome to Igniting Inclusion. This webinar is brought to you by the Institute on Disabilities at Temple University. My name is Kathy Miller, and I am the Director of Supports and Services here at the Institute. The project that is being is sponsoring this particular webinar is Confidence and Confidence Partners in Policymaking, Family Leadership, and funding for our project comes from the Pennsylvania Developmental Disabilities Council. We're so pleased that Lisa Wallace-Larkin, who is a parent and also an inclusion specialist at the ARC of Philadelphia, is presenting tonight's fabulous webinar. Before we start, I want to tell you a little bit about Confidence and Confidence, Partners in Policymaking, Family Leadership, which we re fondly refer to as C2P2 Family Leadership, in inclusive education for non-traditional schools, and it's designed for families of students with disabilities who are educated in home schools, cyber charter schools, charter schools, private schools, and parochial schools. Supports began this year to administrators and staff within these settings as well. The goal of the project is to create a network of family leaders who will work together with educators and administrators to champion inclusive practices for children with disabilities in the non-traditional school communities. Our project activities include online leadership development training, such as today's program, we also offer free one-on-one -on -one parent consultation, which is direct support from trained parent consultants. We have online resources, and we're delighted to let you know that we will be having a live session on May 7th this year, 2016, at the Doubletree Suites, which is located in Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania. It's also important to note that we have available archived webinars. These can be found on our website. We have webinars on safety, um, building safe and healthy relationships, how to keep your child safe in, when they are on the internet, understanding evaluation, community connections, how to become enriched, engaged, and included, Excuse me. Other archived webinars include creating a vision for your child, how to work together with your child's school team, how to understand your child's rights, and another session on inclusion because, again, it's so important that inclusion is really the foundation for all of the work that uh, we do here at the Institute for children and adults with disabilities as a natural part of the community. That's what we strive for. And this is what our families have told us that they want for all of their children. You can see here the, um, on the screen our web address for the archived webinars, www.disabilities.temple.edu backslash programs, backslash leadership, backslash c2p2family.shtml. 
This webinar will be archived afterwards and you will have the reference um, to our website. An important date to uh, keep in mind is April 5th when our final webinar of this year will be presented at 7 p.m. Calming the Chaos, the Power of Prevention, Positive Behavioral Supports, and Parent Coaching. So please look out for that and mark your calendars. Identifying community resources is the face-to-face -face event that I mentioned briefly before. It is occurring on May 7th, and it will be held in Plymouth Meeting at the Doubletree Suites uh, from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. We encourage you to uh, do your registration. It is at that same website address um, that you can find on the PowerPoint after this presentation. I want to talk briefly about the complimentary one-on-one -on -one parent consultation that is available through the project. Um, our, pro our project partners are Pennsylvania's Education for All Coalition, uh, which is called PEAK, and families participating in any of the C2P2FL trainings, including this webinar, may request guidance and technical assistance, and you'll be matched with trained parent consultants from PEAK. It's a wonderful service. We've had many family members use this. Some of the things that the PEAK consultants can assist you with are locating resources and supports, helping you understand your child's rights, reviewing your child's individual education plan, the IEP, or the evaluation report, the ER. They can also help you brainstorm strategies to support your child's inclusive education, suggestions and ideas for accommodations and supports for your child's individual specific needs. In some instances, consultants can also attend IEP meetings with you for transition, um, from early intervention to secondary school, or, and so on. So there's a lot of wonderful um, services and resources that you can find by working together with a parent consultant. Um, support can be offered in person, over the phone, or by email to really match what your individual needs are. Again, that very same website, you can go to our project website and there is a user-friendly form that you can fill out to request that a parent consultant work with you. The other, um, one of the other resources that we offer to families is a closed Facebook group. Now it's closed because it's a, um, to provide confidentiality so that people can, you know, chat and share information. Um, the address to that Facebook is www.facebook.com backslash groups 364-9399-469-577712. Again, this information will be available after the webinar. If you simply put that into your Facebook and click join group, your request will be accepted within a few days, and you can post and read comments. You'll be part of our Facebook community. We hope you join us there. If you need any more information about C2P2FL, 
please contact Kathy Rachia-Meyer, who is our Family Education Coordinator. Kathy can be reached by phone. Her voicemail is or, you know, directly by dialing 215-204-1772. We also have access to a TTY if you are in need of that resource. That number is 215-204-1805, or you can also use our fax number, 215-204-6336, to fax in a request. Kathy's email address, if you prefer to use an email, is Kathy with a C, R, M, at temple.edu. I'm going to skip over this. So, after you listen to this webinar on our archived page, if you would please, uh, after you're, you're done with that, you will notice that a SurveyMonkey um, survey request will come up. So if you could please just fill out that survey. It's a very brief survey, but we're really, um, eager to hear your feedback on how the session went um, so that we can make any improvements on our sessions. Um, you can suggest future topics. And we also, of course, like to get back to our funders to give them the feedback in terms of how you enjoyed listening to that session. So please take a few moments to do that. Now, finally, what you've been waiting for, the um, Igniting Inclusion by Lisa Wallace-Larkin. I am going to turn the, pro the uh, session over to Lisa and she will guide you through this very fascinating information. Thanks so much. Okay, take it away, Lisa. Thank you, Kathy, and thank you to everyone who is joining the webinar today. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled that you are interested in learning more about inclusion, and I'm grateful to the Institute here at Temple um, for inviting me to be a part of this very important webinar series. The title of our time together today is Igniting Inclusion. In fact, so what you're looking at on, on your screen is a cartoon. And above the cartoon, it has the title Igniting Inclusion Without Burning Bridges. We actually added that being inspired by this particular cartoon which has a picture of a wooden bridge. And on top of the bridge, there are a few people. One uh, man looks like he's sweating and is saying, are you warm or is it just me? Because underneath the bridge, there are two men um, around a campfire. And one of the men is saying, it's got to be hot, but not too hot. And the other man says, okay. And the capture underneath reads, fanning the flames of change, lighting a fire under people without burning your bridges. 
The reason I wanted to start with this is because inclusion is a very, uh, we could talk for, for hours about inclusion. Um, because inclusion really is about a, a mindset and, and really a framework of, of components to be uh, put together. And, and although in theory it, it, it can make perfect sense, in fact, for me personally as a parent too, I would think we have the laws, which we'll talk about today, and the research, which we'll also talk about today. But in the end, it really comes down to people and our relationships with one another. So you'll hear me say frequently that inclusion does not have to be an all or none thing. In fact, it's not a really a, a thing as much as it is more of a mindset. So when we're dealing with people, uh, we like to think about taking one step at a time and uh, in a positive way to encourage progress. So when it comes to inclusion, we want to uh, work collaboratively and uh, with a place, coming from a place of, of compassion and understanding, and that really will increase our chances of having a successful, inclusive uh, school and community. I just want to talk a little bit about myself. Uh, to give you an understanding of, of how it is I, I got to be in this seat today. Um, I am a mother. I have a daughter who is almost 13. And the picture that you're looking at uh, on the slide is my son, Rennie, who um, is nine years old. And when he was born, I, at the time, uh, was working as a special education teacher. And really, it wasn't until Rennie became school age that I started to learn about inclusion. And we were, um, we live here in Philadelphia, and we're exploring our options, and we're very close to um, looking at private school. And literally on a, I, I can't even explain it to you any other way that this sort of fluke happened where I picked up um, a book. And uh, it's a bit of a mouthful, but uh, the name of the book is Academic Instruction for Students with Moderate and Severe Intellectual Disabilities in Inclusive Classrooms. And I read the first chapter of that book where it talked about research. And I was from the mindset of, well, obviously a special setting or a more specialized setting would give my son what he needs. But as I would read this book and, and more after, I would come to learn more about the research and how it supports the most positive long-term outcomes. Uh, as far as relationships, employment, and that was a game changer for me. And it was at that moment that I really get, I, I dove in headfirst um, to learn about what is inclusion, what does it look like, um, and what does that mean for my son. And that evolved into me sitting here with you today, uh, in that 
in the end, I had decided um, that I didn't want our choices to be an emotional argument, yet one that was based on what would give my son the best chance because we were raising an adult. And in the end, we decided to uh, have him go to public school where, to this day, we are working uh, for him to be in an inclusive classroom. We're looking at a slide where the title says, what is the goal of education? And that photograph is actually uh, taken from a birthday party, uh, from my son's birthday party last year. And you'll see in those uh, six children, uh, my son is the one wearing the Superman shirt, um, there's a, a nice diverse group of, of kids. And what I'd like for you to do before we get started is I want you to take a second and actually think about what is the goal of education, whether it's public school, private school, homeschooling. In order to make good choices for our kids, we really have, you know, for me at least, it was helpful to reflect upon what is the goal. And so what is inclusion? When you think about those two things together, um, people may have different answers uh, based on who they are and, and um, their circumstances. But I'll tell you, in my time talking about this, overwhelmingly I've heard people say that the goal of education was to prepare their child to live in, in the real world, to um, be independent, to have problem-solving skills, to um, make friends. In the end, they want to be able to raise, you know, to, in, in the end at graduation, we want to have children, of course, with the academic skills that they need, but it is also about sort of the idea of having the whole child supported. So before we move forward, I'd like to take you to take a second and just think at where you are at this point uh, in your life, whether you are a parent, an administrator, an educator, whatever it is that brings you here today, um, what does inclusion mean to you? And what might it mean to your community, to your child, or to the world around us? I chose this cartoon on the next slide because I feel like it's a good follow-up to that reflective moment. In the cartoon, you see a picture of two people sitting at a table, and on the left side of the table, there's a woman, and she's saying, we're trying to decide which school district is best for our daughter. So we want to know what you have, inclusion, inclusive education, or full inclusion. And the man across the table, who I'm assuming is the administrator or, or teacher, there's some papers in front of him, and he's holding a pencil, and he says, oh, I get it. It's a trick question, right? And the caption underneath reads, Mr. Moody continues to be befuddled by the lack of clear definition. The reason I included this today is that there really is no one-size-fits-all definition of inclusion. Because as I mentioned earlier, inclusion itself is, is more of a mindset and, and a, a framework with a lot of components that in the end, 
provide not just for a child that may have a disability, but any child or person that may feel marginalized with the goal of, of creating a community where all the members feel uh, included and valued. So you may have participated in other webinars about inclusion. You may have read books about inclusion. Um, and in the end, it really is about your individual child and uh, what you and potentially your team uh, feels will get your child where you want them to be. Perhaps as we referred to earlier, you know, to get to that end point of what the goal is of education. This slide um, is a uh, quote from uh, Norman Coons, and it has been my experience, because I've seen quite a few, uh, you know, definitions in black and white about what inclusion is, and this one has, uh, my, has been my favorite, which is why I want to share it with you today. It reads, the valuing of diversity within the human community when inclusive education is fully embraced, we abandon the idea that children have to become, quote, normal in order to contribute to the world. And in doing so, begin to realize the achievable goal of providing all children with an authentic sense of belonging. I'll tell you what I like about that quote most of all is that it it almost defines inclusion as a, as a feeling. I mean, at least for me, that's sort of how I perceived it. It, it gives me a sense of, of, of inclusion and what it should almost feel like. And you're looking up at the, uh, the slide now um, of a cartoon of a chalkboard where in big letters it says ABC, and the caption underneath it reads, the ABCs of inclusion. And it says A, next to the A, it says acceptance. B is for belonging, and C is for community. I'll tell you, we could talk for days about what the research says about inclusion, and I referred earlier, especially with the background in, in education, um, sometimes that's tough to, to wear both hats. Um, and so when I go into meetings uh, for my son, it's, it's impossible not to be emotional, um, but I, it was important to me that the decisions that we were making uh, were not emotional arguments, but were based on what has proven to be the most effective. And in the end, overall, the main themes that you'll find in the research is that inclusion benefits all students in the classroom. Again, inclusion is, is not just about um, disability. Inclusive classrooms actually increase the rate of learning and strengthens the classroom as a whole. And throughout our time together, we'll be touching on these things a little bit more. This was the, this article in particular uh, that you'll, you'll see um, on the screen was one of the game changers for me in that Wagner's research found that long-term outcomes, not just academic, but include better outcomes after high school in the areas of employment and independent living. So I'm getting back to that original question of what's the goal of education? Well, if I'd like my son to have a job and, and live independently, 
the research supports inclusive education as the best way to get him there. One of the most key components is administration. So in this context, you would think school administration, but this really does carry over to administration in, in any context. So at your um, church or synagogue, um, any uh, the YMCA, any place where you are um, bringing your child, it really is key to have those who are sort of in charge, kind of running the show, um, to be engaged and in this process. And um, it says cost in school team letter. This is a good opportunity for mention, to mention the fact that, so we have a limited amount of time together. And given the unique needs of every child, of every school, of every educational situation, um, it, we could talk for days, uh, weeks. So today I'm going to try and touch on and provide some concrete ways and examples where all children can access learning and together. But because we do have limits, uh, throughout this presentation, I will be referring uh, to certain things. Like if you see up on the slide here, it says cost in school team letter. Uh, I will be uh, putting together a resource sheet that will be posted on the website. And, at, and, and in that resource sheet, it is going to give you some direction. So if I touch on something today, but you really want to learn more about that particular area, my goal is that this resource sheet can point you in the right direction, websites, books. The only reason I'm sitting here talking to you all today is because I made the commitment to learn as much as I possibly could. And now I'm sitting here. <laughs> so my hope is that we can learn some things together today, but most of all, I hope it becomes a uh, stepping stone uh, for you to learn and uh, find the resources you need um, so you can get your child or students what they need. So this Coston School Team letter you'll find in the resource sheet is actually like a five-page letter that you can give to your school administrator uh, or, or leadership, wherever the environment is, that gives a little bit of information about research little bit of information about the law, uh, and really does sort of give an inclusion 101, uh, because it really is about education. The law. Um, another thing we could talk a whole lot about. And so we have um, IDEA um, that we could talk about, but because of the nature of, of the audience and the people uh, who are participating today, I decided to focus a little bit more on the Americans with Disabilities Act and Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. The reason I chose that is because there are parts in the law that talk about, you know, public entities and, and having to provide. So uh, personally speaking, in, in, in the city where I live, if I want my son to be included with his um, typical peers, right now, public school is my only option. And that's because he's protected under the law. 
But what ADA talks about in here, and I'm not, I'm not going to go through and read this verbatim um, for you, but basically the point of me sharing this with you is if you go down to the third bullet, it says Title II of ADA Section 504 regulations require um, any program or activity that receives federal funding, uh, such as a school, um, needs to provide opportunities in the most integrated setting appropriate to that child's needs. And an integrated setting are those that provide individuals with disabilities opportunities to live, work, and receive services in the greater community, like individuals without disabilities. In addition, Title III of the ADA prohibits discrimination in places of public accommodation, such as private schools, private child care programs, or private preschools regardless of whether an entity receives federal funds. I want to direct you, um, one of the websites, and you may already are, be aware of, of this particular site, that I found um, helpful when it comes to learning about the law, because it can feel overwhelming, um, but it is really important for you to get in the know, um, is rights law. Um, there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of information on that site, some things about assessments, um, to placement um, and IEPs. It's an excellent resource that I recommend you, you uh, explore further if you have areas of interest when it comes to the law. So in the individual, individ, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act of 2004, there is an L, uh, the least restrictive environment clause in IDEA that I want to share with you because I think it's a critical piece when it comes to inclusive education. And so if in the future I, I say LRE, I'll, there are so many acronyms and special ed, we could talk for an hour just about those. In fact, maybe they even have a webinar <laughs> about that. Um, LRE refers to least restrictive environment. And the LRE clause of IDEA states that to the maximum extent appropriate, school districts must educate students with disabilities in the regular classroom with appropriate aids and supports, referred to as supplementary aids and services, along with their non-disabled peers in the school they would attend if not disabled. This um, clause is, is incredibly important and really does protect a child's right to an inclusive education. And we're going to talk a little bit later. So the bold in there of supplementary aids and services is mine. Um, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later because as you'll see when we get there, I really do feel that it's that piece in this clause that ends up being the backbone to inclusive education. And what you'll see in the photo there is actually a good example um, of a peer buddy in an inclusive classroom where uh, the child who's reading uh, to my son, that's a book that's actually at her level, um, and she's reading to Rennie. And so he gets the benefit of, of, of listening and, and having that social interaction. But what she's also doing is on each page, she's having my son point to the letter M on every page because that's um, an area that he's uh, working, working on. 
I want to talk a little bit about least restrictive environment and educational placement for students with IEPs. The common practice I see often is, and also the belief, the mindset, um, is that a child with a disability starts in a more restrictive placement and then sort of works their way into general education. Well, that couldn't be farther from the truth. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Because within the law, it states that the presumption is that the IEP team begins placement discussions with consideration of the regular education classroom and the supplementary aids and services that are needed to enable a student with a disability to benefit from educational services. So whether your child is coming into kindergarten um, or you are faced with uh, an IEP that has a change in placement, it should be written right actually on the document within the IEP um, that says that we, the team really does need to consider the regular education classroom first with a discussion of what, you know, supports, aids, and services do we need in order for that child to benefit from that environment. So remember, when it comes to that, you really do want to start discussion with regular education first and then work from there. You may have heard this before, but I think this is also key, uh, considering what the law states and what I see in practice a lot. Um, special education is actually a service. It's not a place. Special education is a service and not a place. And on this slide, I sort of chose that title as, and as a way to sort of segue into a discussion about the difference between mainstreaming and inclusion. So it was in the 70s, the 1970s, where mainstreaming started to become uh, a term that was used quite a bit, and it's still used quite a bit today. Mainstreaming is not the same thing as inclusion. Mainstreaming has been historically where a child is physically in the classroom, um, where they are sort of expected to acclimate uh, and, and, and keep up with what's going on in the classroom. Uh, and there's very little or minimal accommodations or modifications to curriculum or instruction, where inclusion starts with the child in the classroom, in the general education classroom, but what makes it different is that then the child receives appropriate individualized supports and services so that the child can meaningfully access the general education curriculum. Later on, we're going to talk a little bit more about what this would look like in a classroom. Because in the end, inclusion is more than simply placing individuals together. It's a belief that all individuals belong and are valued. And then I'll take it one step further in that the child is given what they need um, to be successful. And that's going to look different for every child. The amount of time spent in classroom, what the uh, particular services uh, are, will look different for every child. 
the cartoon that you're looking at now, um, about on the top half of the screen, it sort of it shows a crowd of, of people, everyone sort of talking and socializing. And above that, there's a banner that reads, Welcome to the IDEA Violators Annual Conference. And then there's that sort of a, a, a sign underneath it uh, on the ground that reads, Keynote, how to avoid compliance and penalties at the same time. And next to that sort of board is a shadow of an arm. It takes about almost up the entire bottom half of uh, the cartoon. And the caption underneath reads, when it comes to enforcing IDEA, the long arm of the law isn't long enough. Now, I don't include this to be harsh. <laughs> um, the point I'm trying to make by including this is we have the laws in place that protect our, our children's rights, and we have an overwhelming amount of research that supports inclusive education as providing the best long-term outcomes. And again, a reminder, not just for children with disabilities, but the, that doesn't mean that everyone's doing it. <laughs> um, in fact, that was really a challenge for me uh, as a mom and an educator saying, well, we've got the law, we have the research, why isn't this happening? Well, the bottom line is that in order for IDEA to be fully realized um, is that it involves you and it involves me and it involves other parents supporting each other, supporting schools, supporting communities, um, so we can work together collaboratively and be able to move in a, in a direction where the law is respected, and in the end, um, our children uh, get what it is that, that we need uh, or, or that, that you feel uh, they need. So just having the law, just having the research is not, is not enough. We, we really do need to um, hold those in charge accountable, um, and that can be done in a way uh, that is collaborative. And, I, and in case I forget to say later, too, if you are a parent coming to this, I cannot um, overstate how important it is to connect with other parents. Um, Kathy mentioned at, at the beginning, uh, she talked about uh, PEAK and their parent consultants. Um, I'll tell you, I may know what I know about this, but when it comes to my son, uh, I still need all the help I can get. And it was, it was through an advocate that... I ended up really making progress because um, it's tough. But with the support of each other uh, and things like web this webinar, we can uh, move things in a progressive way. Earlier when I talked about least restrictive environment, um, uh, I mentioned supplementary aids and services as the backbone of inclusion. So supplementary aids and services are basically all the ingredients in the uh, inclusion cake, <laughs> I guess I could say. Um, and uh, I believe it's the next slide or so. We're gonna, I'm going to talk about those a little bit more. But before we get into the concrete examples um, of what supplementary aids and services are, 
I want to just spend a couple of minutes talking about uh, the difference between an accommodation and a modification. And the reason that makes sense at this point um, in our time together is because accommodations and modifications are supplementary aids and services. Um, there's more than just this, but I want to clarify it so that when we move forward, uh, hopefully you have a clear picture uh, of the difference between the two. So an accommodation is a strategy that's used to help uh, a student learn content, um, and typically that's the same curriculum uh, as his peers. And in, in a short while, I'm going to show you an example um, of what that looks like. However, an accommodation um, might be that uh, there are parts of a worksheet that have highlighting. Um, with an accommodation, the learning outcomes are also the same. So a child that, for example, has a Section 504 um, may prim primarily just need accommodations. Uh, these happen in the general ed classroom. Tools, materials, technology, visual aids, uh, timing, these kinds of accommodations are used to help the student access the curriculum so that he or she can learn the same content as um, his or her peers. And the grading is also the same. Uh, so, like right now, um, I'm using my own uh, visual aid where I have a timer set so I can keep an eye on the time. Um, that's a visual aid. And what's, what's important also to note is that the accommodations, uh, and I'll talk very briefly a little bit later about universal design for learning, most of the time, a lot of accommodations don't just benefit the child with the disability. They could benefit a lot of the other children and maybe even all of the children. Um, you may use your uh, cell phone yourself to do accommodations because you know what it is that you need. Within a classroom or community-based setting, um, it's just a matter of making uh, slight changes in, in the environment, but the actual task at hand um, has the same learning outcome. However, with a modification, you are modifying the curriculum or the assignment. So a child that has significant learning needs um, can still access the general education curriculum. However, the learning outcome may be different. And again, I'm going to show you some concrete examples and uh, hopefully provide a little bit more clarity. But for the sake of time, uh, we're going to keep moving forward, and we'll keep coming back to this. Uh, but in the end, the modification, the big difference is in accommodations, it is tools that help access uh, the curriculum, whereas with the modification, it really helps the student experience the curriculum, but they may not be learning the same content as his or her peers. Okay, so what are supplementary aids and services? The one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten or so uh, subtitles I have underneath the title of what are supplementary aids and services are just some of the areas uh, that supplementary aids and services fall under. 
So I like to think of supplementary aids and services as sort of an umbrella. And underneath the umbrella, uh, you could almost imagine, you know, uh, you know, 10 or 11 of these big raindrops, and one will read environmental. The other one might be pacing of instruction, materials, presentation of subject matter, specialized equipment or a procedure, an assignment modification, self-management follow-through, a testing adaptation, social interaction support, and level of staff. These are all considered supplementary aids and services. And I can't also overstate enough how important it is to learn about what these are. So it's right in the law, and the key is, have these supplementary aids and services been explored um, and put into place? Has data been taken about their effectiveness? Um, you would want to ask these questions before there would be uh, any, any thought potentially about putting a child in a more restrictive environment. Um, along the bottom, it says resources. I'm not sure if you're familiar with, uh, some people say Patton, I say Patan. Um, .net is a wonderful resource uh, for a variety of, of um, topics as far as special education goes, and it really is a kind of a go-to resource for training and information. Um, in fact, I know in, for those of you who this would uh, would apply to, in August every year, they do a low-incidence disability conference that is incredibly helpful. Parents, educators, if you go to the patan.net website, you can find information about this and a lot of other things. But it's the SAS toolkit that I want you to highlight, write down, um, and make a promise to me that after this, you are going to go to the Patan site and search, or just Google it. Supplementary Aids and Services Toolkit, because that is a wonderful tool that the team engages in. Really, it's best done by a trained facilitator, um, but Patan has resources um, for that, so look into that. In the end, the point of the toolkit is to help the team provide, and, and well, to explore in the individualized environment, the general education classroom, the child, the teachers, and find out what are the barriers for that child to be meaningfully included. And then once those barriers are addressed, you can put the appropriate supplementary agent services in place in an IEP uh, to address those barriers. Because it's not acceptable to say that the barrier is the child's um, level of disability. Um, the onus, the beautiful thing about the toolkit is it really puts the onus on, you know, us grown-ups, the team members, the people, the professionals, and the people that know the child best to use of our, our individual skills to do what's necessary for the child um, to be successful. Next to that, it talks about the SAS checklist. And I have an example of one that I'm going to show you. And again, this will be a resource that will be made available for you um, after the um, session, I'm looking for the PDF, that's Swift. Um, do you know what, we'll, oh, that's right, 
Bear with me here. Sorry. I um. There we go. Okay. Thank you, Um What you're looking at up on the screen now is just an example. Um, Julie Kofton is a researcher, author, um, expert extraordinaire out of Syracuse University. And um, if you Google her, uh, she has a lot of wonderful resources. She has a great set of books that I highly recommend um, that just came out last year that uh, sort of like an inclusive education handbook for, there's one for educators, there's one for paraprofessionals, there's one for principals, there's one for occupational therapists. Um, and within those books, they also provide, uh, open you up to um, a boatload of forms and information that she has that are wonderful. And uh, she also has an Inspire Inclusion Facebook group uh, that I'm a part of, and it helps kind of connect you with other parents uh, across, you know, the U.S. Um, because, like, again, that is, it really is important to have the support. So what you're looking at here is a checklist of, of just a sample. These aren't all of them, um, of supplementary supports, aids, and services. You're going to see in bold those subtitles that I referred to in the slide before. Um, so when you sit, if you, if you, do the SAS toolkit that I referred to, and you've identified the barriers to whether it's uh, behavioral, academic, um, you know, what are the issues as far as why that child could not be um, educated in the general education environment? When you're considering these, uh, addressing these barriers, you can use this checklist as a way to help identify which supports will be like the least intrusive um, and only as special as necessary and the most natural to the context of the classroom. So under environmental, you'll see things like preferential seating. Uh, that's an accommodation. I know for myself, when I go to see a speaker, I either sit um, towards the front of the room or on, at an aisle, on an aisle. Um, and so when you're thinking about certain classrooms, um, think about the educator. Uh, what if, should we be considering, uh, uh, you know, where the child should sit? Who should the child sit next to? Because peer buddies and peer tutors, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later, um, are a wonderful uh, way to, uh, and actually it's with peer buddies, it's beneficial for both children. Uh, there's research that, that supports that. I, and that is also an example of a supplementary aid in services, or in, in service. Um, so, I know uh, in the lunchroom, my son wears, um, what do you call them, that, you know, headphones that help decrease uh, how noise reducing, noise reduction uh, headphones. We bring them uh, with us when we go to Philly's game. Um, really, that's an accommodation. That's an environmental supplementary aid and service. Uh, pacing of instruction. So, a child uh, may get the exact same assignment but may get extra time, um, and that's okay. In fact, again, these might be things, especially if it's not an assignment that is about how fast a child can do it, this is the kind of thing that, that may be good for not just a child with an IEP. Um, allowing for breaks. Who doesn't need, after sitting for 30 minutes, a chance to get up? Um, these are things that can be naturally embedded into the child's day and may not require a visit to a sensory room or a separate environment. 
Uh, when you think about supplementary aids and services, we want to think about how we can embed these into the natural routine of the day. How subject matter is presented. Um, universal design for learning is a wonderful evidence-based practice that is beneficial for, for all students, whether it's a child with a disability or a child who's gifted. Um, maybe a child who doesn't have an IEP but struggles. Um, we want to look at creating a strength-based program, a strength-based classroom. Uh, when we focus specifically on deficits, um, you know, the impact that you have is not, uh, will not, you will not seek as much or you will not get as much, I think, reward or, or result uh, in that way. Now, we all, of course, we need to be knowledgeable of, of what the areas our child needs to work on. That's how we create goals. But what we want to do is look at what are their strengths and what are their interests to foster progress. Okay, uh, I'm going to move forward here uh, due to time. But like I said, I'm going to make this accessible for you. Um, I actually have another example of this that offers different um, options. So in the law, it talks about supplementary aids and services. Well, I was a special ed teacher, and I really didn't know what supplementary aids and services, you know, what did that mean? I'm hoping that you'll walk away from today uh, knowing what, that, what does that mean? I know what the law says. Have we tried these things? Um, and if we haven't, let's put some of them in place and, and collect data. Uh, and, and have a real concrete sense of what's been effective or not. Uh, materials, now we're going to talk a little bit, I'm going to show you some examples um, of materials, um, and you'll see on the screen here assignment modification. I'm going to show you now some concrete examples of, of assignment modifications. Um, but before I do, I do want to, it does talk about self-management and follow-through. I'll tell you, I'm taking my parent hat off and putting my teacher hat on. One of the most important things I felt like I would focus on as a special education teacher, um, especially for my students who uh, were on the autism spectrum, was teaching that child about who are they and what are their strengths, what are they good at, um, what do they need? Because in the end, we do want our kids to know um, who they are and not just focus on, well, I can't do this, but empower them to be able to ask for what they need because they know that's what they need for themselves to be successful. Um, providing them, and, and you know, we've got all this wonderful technology, uh, there's wonderful apps uh, that can provide a visual calendar. You actually can use the app to take photographs of, um, you know, uh, physical locations uh, of teachers. Um, and create a visual calendar for your child. So it makes it kind of cool because it's on an iPad or, or a tablet, um, which is also a tool we all use every day. Uh, but at the same time, they get to have control over that and power over that. And that is actually something that can help create the child feeling better about themselves and potentially decrease um, any kind of negative behavior. Social interaction support. Anyway, I definitely encourage you to take some time to um, explore what these are. All right, here we are. We're good. What we're going to do now, oh, I guess before what we're going to do now, is I'm going to remind you, 
before an attempt is made for maybe a more restrictive placement, check the lists. And if you don't know them, ask someone else. Um, shoot me an email. You'll, you'll get my email address at the end of this session. Uh, and if as you're going and I'm, I'm moving quickly through something and you had a question, um, write it down as we go. And at the end of the presentation, uh, it does provide my email address. Um, please reach out to me. And uh, I don't have all the answers, um, but I can certainly try and, and help or, or connect you or provide you with resources that may get you what you need. All right. Now I'm going to show you some concrete examples um, of accommodations or modifications. What you're looking at here, I'm not sure if you've ever, uh, if you're familiar with uh, Erlen, it's spelled I-R-L-E-N, Erlen overlays. Um, these can be particularly beneficial for children uh, that have a specific learning disability uh, in reading or may have visual uh, processing uh, challenges. Um, I had a student uh, who had a diagnosis of dyslexia and um, I was, we were really struggling um, and with a little bit of research I had learned by asking someone else about overlays. And what the overlays are is just sort of a clear plastic sheet that you put over um, a, a book or a worksheet. So on the left is an example of uh, what that might look like without an overlay and how the child might perceive the letters on the page. Using an overlay, this may be how your child now sees it. Now there's different colors. Um, again, this is an example of a supplementary aid and services. You can have it written in to the child's program or plan um, that uh, the child can use overlays. So if they don't have uh, any challenges with uh, content reading, they may be in their eighth grade classroom and um, all the children, everyone's got their textbook out, but this child knows that they need to have their overlays so that they can uh, read with more clarity. What you're looking at now is a worksheet. And I'll tell you, the next few examples I'm, I'm, I am showing you, now I'm no fan of worksheets, I'll tell you. I'm, I, but let's you know, be realistic, it is, it is a reality. Um, and so what I wanted to be able to do is provide some examples um, of some modifications and accommodations modifications um, through some of these uh, worksheets. If there are uh, ever particular scenarios where you need suggestions, let me know. And also be looking up Universal Design for Learning, which again on the resource sheet, um, I'll have some resources for you to look into. And I'll touch about it briefly in a little bit. What you're looking at is a, um, a, a fifth grade math worksheet. And although I'd love it, you know, I almost want to ask you whether you think it's an accommodation or a modification. Because if you look at it, it obviously a, a teacher or, or an adult has written uh, on the sheet. So for problem number one, it reads 8,000 minus 200, I think. Underneath it, uh, someone has handwritten in red, use calculator. The next one says use calculator. These are accommodations. In the end, the content is the same, but this child, uh, based on what their individual needs are, has 
is allowed to use the calculator. Or if you look below to the bottom, in order, perhaps this child might be very visual, um, it has, this, this actual problem is somewhat modified. Because instead of having the child do the math problem, the addition problem down, you know, um, to the point, it's asking the child to round it. So for, instead of 781 plus 411 plus 652 plus 293, it says round is 700 or 800. Because that child might actually have a goal um, about um, estimating and rounding. So this child's IEP goal might be being addressed while using the same materials as um, their peer without a disability. What you're looking at now is a modified uh, grade eight science um, assignment. This uh, would probably be for uh, a student that might have an intellectual disability. Um, and so while the, his, his or her peers might be using the textbook to the left that says, review vocabulary, reviewing key concepts, and it's um, the, the child uh, with a disability might have uh, a sheet of paper that you can lay over the same textbook that his or her peers are using. And it says chapter four, density and buoyancy. And then it has three questions, or three uh, questions, yes. The first one says, Pressure means to push down on something, and the word pressure is in bold. That is um, a, an accommodation. Using, oh, can I tell you, I'm such a huge fan of different color highlighters. Um, so another concrete example might be that uh, if a child is given questions that they have to answer after uh, reading a passage, especially if you can highlight the actual text, um, you can use different color highlighters to highlight um, the information that needs to then go into your answer. Um, it provides sort of that visual uh, to help uh, things be a little bit more clear. Just like kind of like highlighting um, how many more in a math word problem. So pressure means to push down on something. And the student has to check either yes or no. Number two, buoyant means to float. Again, the child checks yes or no. Three, you use a ruler to measure in centimeters, yes or no. So these are the main ideas of the lesson. And the child has to check yes or no. So they're accessing this curriculum, but it's been modified in a way that makes it meaningful for that child. I'm telling you, it really is about being creative and thinking outside the box. Uh, here's just another example. Uh, so yes or no questions are really the simplest way that you can modify curriculum content. Now what you're looking at is a spelling word list. And so the child, uh, your child may not be able to uh, have this particular list. Um, another way uh, to make it meaningful would be choosing maybe the most common words that you'd see day to day and cut the list. Or uh, for a, a child that um, has an intellectual disability, a way that you can make this meaningful for them is you can give them the spelling word list their peers have, but perhaps their job is to identify um, the letters that they're working on. 
So if they're currently working on A, M, B, S, and T, use different color highlighters and use uh, yellow for A, blue for M. Um, you may actually find words within words. So I see at quite a bit in some of these words. So one of the uh, challenges might be find um, the word at. So again, you've taken a high level or you know a assignment and made it accessible. And again, modify it according to whatever it is that uh, the individual child needs. Now we're looking at, um, again, a math lesson, an assignment. Looks pretty complicated. Boy, this is a busy page. Uh, one, way, one thing off actually that you could do uh, for a child that gets highly distracted is take a piece of construction paper and cut out a window. Uh, so they can lay it over, and it just has them focus directly on the problem that they're looking at. Uh, with a child with more significant needs, it may just be that you have the child um, identify numbers, find all the number sixes on the page, um, or add the numbers that are in the circles. These are all just sort of creative ways to take something that you might, a teacher might look at and go, this child can't do this. There's always ways that we can make it creating, create, uh, meaningful for the child. Uh, we just, we just need to be creative. And again, if you're not sure, ask someone else. Uh, look it up. Um, that's, that's pretty much how I've, I've learned how to do it. Given my background as a special ed teacher was really working with children with learning disabilities, and my son has a, a more significant disability, this has been a whole new education for me. I'm learning more all the time um, about how I can support him and uh, his school or, and the people in, in, in our community. So what does an inclusive classroom look like? Or what does an inclusive uh, YMCA or, or um, you know, a place in the community that you'd like to go to uh, if you homeschool and you take your child to a program, um, what should that, what would that look like to, to see whether or not it's inclusive? So now I'm going to talk a little bit about what are the five common traits of inclusive classrooms. And this is based um, on research. Um, and a fair amount of reading that I've sort of narrowed, you know, it's been narrowed down. Um, so an inclusive, when you walk into an inclusive uh, classroom, you, you may see groups of desks placed around the room, not just in a linear fashion. Because grouping students allows for socialization as well as cooperative and peer learning. Those characteristics research shows actually results in higher achievement and greater productivity for all learners. And it also touches on, you know, we talked earlier about sort of the whole child. These opportunities to work like this help create a more caring, supportive um, classroom environment and create opportunities for relationships, um, as well as health, social competence, and, and self-esteem. You know, when you think about when you provide opportunities for people to get to know each other, and this is adults too, you know, when you think about it, when you take down those barriers and, and allow, you know, children to be educated together, um, 
it really can and it, and is connected with you know a, a decrease in in bullying because there grows a level of compassion and understanding and know that those peers um, could, are are future business owners um, and so it's not just about it being beneficial for the child with a disability it's about it being beneficial for all of us um, and in the end that that child grows up is a business owner and has been exposed to different kinds of people and is not afraid to hire someone who has uh, who is different from themselves. Another example of something you might find in an inclusive classroom are visual learning aids. And I'm, I mentioned earlier about my phone. I, I am a post-it, like I could not live without my post-its. Um, that's a visual aid. Uh, and why is it, you know, it doesn't have to be, oh, well, this specific child needs this clock on their desk that looks like something. <laughs> well, let me just say, there are a lot of opportunities to use everyday um, uh, objects that not only the child with a disability can use, but all of the children can use. So when you're giving instructions on what to do, um, write it on the board, or uh, and maybe uh, depending on on the 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 child, maybe have a um a picture next to it that represents the task, uh, and that way, if halfway through what they're doing, they forget they don't have to raise their hand or not because they're embarrassed. They can just look up on the board. Um, timers, uh, posters, flip charts, and again. Technology. I could talk to you for a whole other hour about how technology has been a game changer um, for all of us. And if you want to know any information about particular apps or anything in that area, uh, again, I certainly don't know everything, uh, but I have come to embrace it. So if I, um, if you have an issue uh, that you'd like to see if technology could be of service, um, look it up or uh, reach out. Developmentally appropriate learning materials placed around the room. So have a classroom library that has a variety of levels, including maybe a little bit more challenging ones for, for children who are gifted. Because um, that's the thing. Again, inclusion, it's not just about um, a child that has uh, special needs that it can be, a special need can be a child who's gifted and needs more of a challenge. Uh, instructional materials, leveled books, math manipulatives. Um, use math manipulatives, that makes sense. Instead of using teddy bear counters, use pennies. Uh, learning to count by fives, use nickels. Uh, counting by ten, use dimes. Um, addition, uh, once they have it, if they know that a nickel is five pennies, use five, you know, a nickel plus a penny. Try and find ways to use everyday objects, technology, money, um, so you can kill a lot of birds with one stone. Uh, a classroom social skills program. I would love to talk further about this. I know there's a lot of concern when it comes to how do you create a classroom where your child is looked at as being a member of that classroom community. Well, it starts with participation, and not always. And and, and research actually shows that part-time participation. Uh, 
the other students in the class don't necessarily look at that student as being a member of that classroom. So we want to try and maximize for whatever's appropriate for the student, time in general ed and time together. Um, leadership, 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 your teacher um, and, and what they do uh, and how they conduct themselves Maybe the most important thing, or your uh, the, the leader at your church or the community group, um, use literature as a way to open up dialogue and not about diagnosis. Have it be about difference and respecting difference in general. On the resource sheet, I'm going to include information about, um, I don't know if you've heard of it before, PBIS. It's really kind of the uh, something that's growing more and more, and that stands for uh, Positive Behavioral Intervention Systems, or you may hear it as school-wide PBIS. Um, the idea behind th these are that every classroom doesn't have its own set of rules or expectations. The idea is that the school or the community center as a whole has a certain set of principles that everyone abides by, that Hopefully, the goal is to create um, an inclusive um, school community. And again, inclusive of anyone that might make you marginalized. And everyone, and, and, and having a level of accountability, I urge you after this to uh, check out uh, pbis.org um, and look into this because it really can be an important tool in creating an environment where all children are, are welcome and that it's okay to do things the way they do. Uh, the other thing is focusing on how we all have needs. We all have special needs in some way. Getting both adults and children to connect with the fact that everyone has unique needs. But in the end, most people want the same things um, in the big picture. Uh, and then there's um, assistive technology that can be done. So in my son's classroom, instead of maybe having just one pair of noise reduction headphones, have a few pairs in a basket. So that there may be other children who also have sensitivities that at any time, it's okay to get up and, and go get them, especially at like assemblies, uh, that kind of thing. That's a trait of an inclusive classroom where you can take a, a tool that may be meant for a child who has these issues, but ends up benefiting benefiting a lot of other students. This cartoon is just a picture of a chef or a cook, and, and, and it's just a total disaster mess all over the counter. Eggshells, a blender, um, and he's looking at a, a cookbook, and on it it says, Inclusion Cookbook, and he's, he's sweating. He looks very stressed. Underneath it, it says, After several attempts, Fred begins to realize that cookbook recipes for inclusion just don't work. I include this today because I want to remind you, inclusion is not a one-size-fits-all thing. There's no cookbook that says A, B, C, D, you must do all of these things for every child in order for it to be successful. Every school is at a different place. A good, you know, if a child spends the majority of their day in a, in a more restrictive environment, look at what a, the child's strength is. Um, maybe they reading is their favorite subject. So maybe you start with um, time spent in general ed during reading. What I would like to show you, and I don't, you know, again, another page, perhaps of all of the websites or resources 
I encourage you to visit um, swiftschools.org or .net. Oh, I'm going to pull it up for you in a second, so you'll see. Anyway, the point of this is there's no specific one way to do it because it really is about mindset. However, there are there has been a fair amount of research to say that there are certain components that maximize the success of an inclusive uh, school or, or community. Okay, what I'm showing you now is actually the uh, SWIFT um, website. And I'm trying to remember, I'm blanking off the top of my head. It's like school-wide uh, inclusive framework. Oh, I'll have to look, I'll have to look back, but it is an acronym. Um, it may be the biggest um, organization that gets the most uh, help from the government as far as building inclusive practices. .org, thank you. It's uh, swiftschools.org. Again, it'll be on the resource uh, page. We could spend a lot of time uh, on this website, but of course we can't. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of a taste of what it can offer. This isn't even the home page. Uh, they just revamped their website too. It's just fantastic. And it really does incorporate um, universal design uh, techniques. So what I'm going to show you a little bit today is called the SWIFT Guide. Because those components I did talk to you about that maximize success, um, SWIFT has found uh, they fall into five domains. Okay? And those are administrative leadership, we touched on that earlier, a multi-tiered system of support. So I mentioned earlier PBIS, the Positive Behavior Intervention System. That's a part of a multi-tiered system of support. The reason I highly recommend you explore this because this is something that helps support inclusive schools, but in the end, it helps all students. It helps all students with academics. Um, and, and behavior and, and really about creating a sense of community where individual needs are not just met, but they're respected. Um, so they also you need to have sort of a, uh, oh, there it is, family and community engagement. This one's a little bit uh, difficult to see, but this this one, or is this the multi-tiered framework? Yeah, no. Here, I'll come back to it. I'll come back. It, it has to do with organizational structure and creating that strong and positive school culture. When you can get a strong and positive school or community structure and culture, it, again, it, it hits so many different areas, academic, emotional, uh, behavioral, uh, and it, and it, it helps and is of uh, service to all participants. Family and community engagement, inclusive policy structure and practice. So for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into this, but I did want to just give you a sense. So under multi-tiered system of support, on the SWIFT site, it's wonderful. So you can go here and you can click underneath, which will, and, and you know, if you want to learn more about any of these components, strong and positive school culture, I'm going to choose inclusive behavior instruction. When you click on that, it gives you a little bit of information. So as far as if you have a child that um, 
that struggles with uh, self-regulation or behavior, uh, the two things that I'll say to you in a nutshell um, would be that look at the environment first <laughs> um, and really to get a sense of why, the why, um, where is the behavior coming from. It's just it, it's communicating, a form of communication. And it not be just about expecting the child to fit inside the box. Um, it really is about what can we do in the environment so that that child feels safe or has the tools they need um, to access learning or make relationships. Um, so inclusive behavior instruction is a proactive approach to teaching social and behavior skills. So you, you can see before, academic and behavior supports are integrated within a one multi-tiered system of support. So in uh, amongst the website, you'll find these, what they call Swift in 60. And I'm not going to uh, click on this, but I on every single one of those subtitles that I showed you before, there's a Swift in 60. So you can actually get a visual picture of what that might look like. And then there's a section in depth. There's a discussion guide. So if you're an educator or um, an administrator, these are wonderful tools for you to do with your staff. Um, or if you're a parent, looking through them yourself to open up ways to start dialogue with your child's team. Introduction to inclusive behavior instruction. View intro, view steps, there's videos. Underneath, there's resources. Oh, there we go. Yep. Publications, uh, tools, you know, toolkits, matrix. Um, I, there's a sample of a functional behavior support plan. And then websites. So it really is a wonderful place to learn a lot more, especially if, you know, there is a particular area that you're interested in learning more about. Universal design for learning. Um, I don't have a lot of time, but basically universal design for learning is a set of principles for curriculum development that gives all individuals equal opportunities to learn. I urge you to visit um, either cast.org, that's C-A-S-T.org, or www.udlcenter.org. It will talk to you about sort of the three um, components as far as the guidelines. There's a wonderful graphic organizer. Um, and basically, UDL is you, as the multiple means um, of representation of something are provided. Um, multiple means... Uh, are of uh, how to express or, or um, action are provided. And then also there's a providing multiple means of engagement. So in a lesson, that might look like uh, in math, representation of a concept might be there's a concrete um, example. Uh, there's um, a, a computer station with visuals. Um, there's paper and pencil. There might be a school store. Um, Higher level, on an assignment, a child can choose to write a book report. A child can choose to uh, create a uh, video. Um, a child can use to, uh, can, can um, uh, draw a picture or a great comic book app out there that a child can show what they knew through creating a, chiro uh, a, a comic book. Uh, again, I urge you to look more into that. My feeling is UDL is the future. UDL is 
about all children and meeting the needs of all children. We, talk, we already kind of touched on this. These are the uh, critical components of inclusion. You may not have all of them, but that doesn't mean you still can't move in a direction of progress. If you've got one thing, take that and build from there. Now you're looking at a cartoon. And in it, there's um, a woman uh, who has what looks like a really beat up baseball cap on. And she's next to a table of students uh, at a, a, like a circle. We're on a, a table in the shape of a circle. And uh, all the children are interacting. There's books. Um, one of the children um, is using a wheelchair to sit in. And a woman is saying to what I presume is the teacher wearing the cap, it's amazing how well you've adjusted your teaching now that students with severe disabilities are in your class. And the woman with the hat, the teacher responds, well, I just keep reminding myself that my students were each different before, quote, inclusive education, and that hasn't changed, just expanded. And underneath it reads, Mrs. King sports her worn softball cap as a reminder that individualizing to meet unique student needs is old hat to good teachers. You know, I find myself saying often, good teaching is good teaching. We're not reinventing the wheel here. There, there's such a, a focus on special needs, special this. And, 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 I, and I understand that, and, and every child does have unique needs. But in the end, the practices that are best practice for kids without disabilities tend to be best practice in a lot of ways for children with. And that goes both ways. So I urge you, whatever environment you, you are working in, uh, whatever profession or role that you come uh, to this webinar today, uh, think big in, in a sense of think universally. Um, and I urge you to, to explore further resources that will be provided. Um, and I hope that you're able to walk away today uh, not only with maybe more information that you had, but in the end that I'm igniting uh, your um, excitement and, and energy uh, to move us towards a more inclusive uh, school community. Here is my contact information. Um, it says inclusion specialist. I always joke uh, with, with my sort of the director there that really I like to think of myself as a facilitator. I don't, you know, um, because again, it's something that is really about teamwork. If I can offer you, uh, your, your school, uh, whatever environment you're in, any kind of, of support, um, I hope that you'll reach out uh, to me, email uh, or give me a call. And um, I thank you for your participation today. And my son thanks you. Um, and thanks again to uh, the Institute here at Temple.